Okay, so I'm still trying to get my brain unscrambled because we watched Pulp Fiction and we watched Wild Bunch and we watched Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Which one do you want to do? It's time for the Wild Bunch. Okay, so let's do our intro. This is Bentley. And I'm Samuel. And this is the Review Podcast. Podcast. So this actually is the thesis of the podcast. We're getting back to it. This is not a movie that I bothered to show you and Truman when you were growing up, but it's clearly, it was part of the canon that was handed to me. And then, of course, when somebody of my generation, Tarantino, makes Pulp Fiction, and that explodes, you know, he's talking a lot about the Wild Bunch and Peckinpah. And as you look at how his career has spooled out, clearly he loves this movie. So it's a great idea to go back and say, okay, so what was the big deal in 1969, when I was two. Yeah, 50 years ago. 50 years 25 ago. 25 years since Pulp Fiction, 50 years since The Wild Bunch. So here we are. We are right on the beat of thinking about what is important to each generation. All right, so, and then you suggested we watch it. So I'm like, well, okay well, I then. I wanted to get back to the original thesis of the podcast a lot more. Because we've uh, done four Spider-Man we did episodes. Like, we did like a whole bunch of stuff of nerdity in a row, and, and that might always be home base for us. Always. But we need to run the bases a little bit, I think. Yeah. We need to, we need to <laughs> get back to first, get back to second. Yeah. Um, and I was curious, because I knew of the Wild Bunch, vaguely. Vaguely, you know, heard you it know mentioned in, in interviews and, okay. and whatnot, and other people talking about it. And, you know, when you see a list of, like, the best, not the hotels, the best westerns, you know, like, it's, here are. Actually, you go, you dig into IMDb, as I did after we watched the movie, until 1 o'clock this morning. Yeah. And Ebert has it on his list of greatest movies. It's on the American Film Institute list yeah, of AFI top 100. Has, has thrown this thing on a bunch of their lists. Not just, like, Not best just best film, westerns, like... but it's on their list of 100 best American movies, period. Yeah. Ever made. Yeah, which is so, crazy. That's pretty crazy. Uh, um, so let's discuss whether it belongs on that list. Well, like most great films, they need to reflect the period in which they were made in some way. Okay. You know, people say timeless, but really what they're looking for when they say timeless is nostalgia, I believe. You know, Star Wars could only be made in 1977. That movie only exists then. It exists as a product of... You know, it, I, come on, you've read the scholarly papers that say that Star Wars is what excises the Vietnam War for us and makes yes. Reagan's Morning in America possible. Yes, okay. um, but it's also timeless because it continues to speak to next generation. I agree, but if you were to remake that movie shot for shot now with this modern special effects, I don't think it, it hits the same way. Damn it, we're talking about Star Wars again. Talking about Star Wars again. We always do that. (laughs) Shit. All right. (laughs) Back to the Wild Bunch. (laughs) Hold on. Wait. Do we need... (laughs) We talked about Star Wars again, which I don't think is fatal. I think it's still on this side of somewhat cute. (laughs) Look, the point I'm trying to make, the original very defensible thesis that I had was, I think... Great films reflect the times they were made in, even if they're science fiction, fantasy, or that's true. Outside I, of, I buy that. You know, a period piece because yeah. this film is is made in 1969. But as you pointed out, this is a reflection mm. of the Vietnam War in many ways. Oh, absolutely. absolutely, This is reflecting then contemporary anxieties. As I watched it again, uh, 
early into this morning, I thought, this is just a war picture. Yeah, and this movie is, what I was building to is that this movie is doing things that actually couldn't be done today. Like, I know people are grousing about, oh, they could never make a, a Mel, Brooks, Mel Brooks film today. My my response to that has always been, uh, yeah, because Mel Brooks isn't making films at this point. Like, it's... it's <laughs> well, that's these... a funny answer, but what they mean is the language and the ideas could not be solidified on film. I just think that you'd find different ways to say them. And this film is doing mm. things, saying things in a way that you would have to find different ways to say now. For example, you can't light scorpions on fire anymore. You can't just no. light a bunch of scorpions on fire in the opening shots. Or of, blow of up film. a bridge underneath With a bunch horses of horses. With horses underneath <laughs> it. You know, those horses. Oh, my God, dude. Like, yeah. And the scene where like the horses tumble over the... The sand dune? Sand dune, very like, dangerous, yeah. That's very dangerous. Very, da- very dangerous for the horse. You know, yeah. Peckinpah's really, and if you read the behind the scenes... Peckinpah's well, an asshole. Peckinpah's like a slave driver. Yeah. He's not a good dude. <laughs> like this, he's not treating his animals well. He's no. not treating his cast no, well. He's his not cast hated him. Well. Yeah. You know, everyone is angry, and you see that I think this is a predominantly angry film. This film is. is angry. Uh-huh. It's angry at the perpetrators of violence. It's angry at uh, those who try and make themselves above the violence, who portray themselves as being better, despite the fact that they're just as violent. Like, it mm-hmm. has no more respect for the generalismo than it has for these desperados, these these no. guys who are riding out. You know, there's no hierarchy of goodness here. No. Everyone's bad. No, that's right. Everyone's that's bad. That's right. And and they show you through multiple. Not even the children are pure. No, right? the children start by lighting animals on fire. <laughs> That's right. You know because we're all humans. And, and that, to spoil and... a film from 1969, a child is the one who ends the rampage of these these bounty hunters yes. who shoots That's their right. leader dead. That's correct. You know this this film is about you know no one is innocent. It's dark. Yeah, it's very dark. It's very 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 nihilistic in some ways Mm -hmm. it's very much the pointlessness of of violence but the inescapability and inevitability that this cycle will continue to perpetuate the cycle of violence will continue yeah and so i guess that's what appealed to tarantino right there's a strong strain of uh, nihilism in generation x i think it's now flowered uh even more so in your generation and and behind that i mean it, there's always a tug of war. Each generation, even the boomers, you know, when they're fighting it out in the 60s when this movie is made, you know, obviously there are a lot of idealistic people who are trying to stop the war with flower power. Um, but, you know, there's there are always people uh, who are going to make movies like this or Bonnie and Clyde, you know, where that just says, look, nothing's ever really going to improve because humans are nasty brutish and uh, violent to each each other right the hobbesian view hobbesian view so uh and speaking as the old guy in the room you know that has more and more uh sway with me and so when you say this is an angry film you know what they're all angry about they're angry that they're getting old they're angry that they can't do just what they want to do right the the crew the wild bunch at the center of this movie they actually fail more than they succeed. Yeah. These guys <laughs> so are, are... They're old and they keep getting, uh, you know, they keep getting ambushed. Uh, they can't quite figure out what the next move is. You know, they're, they're missing a step, quite yeah. literally. There is no honor among thieves here. They very clearly show you that 
this group has very, very flexible morals. You know, they have things that they want to do, things that they feel are right, but those change. It, it changes all the time. They're like, oh man, we never leave a man behind. Proceeds to leave several men behind. <laughs> oh right. man, you, you, don't, you don't give up on these men. They're the ones that you're riding with. Proceeds to shoot a member of the crew in the face when he can't keep up. Like, it's... Yeah, yeah. It's... It and that's is, the nihilism. There's yeah. just, there's no morality. You have no, your code, I kept, you know, actually for a film that I don't revere as much as many members of my generation revere it, I actually came back to the Joker quote from The Dark Knight, where oh. he says, these good people's morality is a bad joke dropped at the first sign of trouble. Yeah. And at every point, yeah. you know, there's always trouble in this film, so morality's getting dropped really fast. Yeah, well, there's you know. trouble in life. Yeah, it's and it's... So that's why I really object to uh, what Peckinpah and some of the film critics, like Ebert, say after it's released to justify what they like about the movie. Yeah. Right? I mean, there are a lot of things in there that film geeks would like, uh, right? The cinematography, the 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 way the movie is shot. Uh, it was a landmark for its depiction of sex and violence. The fact that there are no good guys was a huge change, right? John Wayne sees John this Wayne said it ruined the Western. Hey, John, screw you. <laughs> so for its time, what it did, it was revolutionary. But there is so much violence, and it is so pointless that then, after the fact, people like the director and Ebert have to justify it. And so they start talking more and more about how there's this code, how Pike... Right, played by William Holden, the guy who's the leader of the Wild Bunch. He has this code, and you know, the only thing that matters is his men. And I'm like, that no, that doesn't show up in this movie. In fact, the last stand of the movie, the famous gigantic bloodbath, happens way after the fact when they could have done something to save their buddy. You know, their buddy, they've already abandoned, they literally watched him being dragged around in the dust behind a car, you know, and, and his life is over and they don't do something until it's too late to have any effect. In other words, it's them sort of using circumstances to justify their old guy nihilism. And guess what I think about the 2016 election, right? I mean, they're, they're, this movie is propped up because Peckinpah just wanted to make a buddy picture that killed a lot of people. He wanted to show how pointless things were because he was getting old, right? He doesn't live too much longer. He lives uh, maybe another decade. He does a couple more movies in the 70s, but he's a Marine from World War II, Yeah, right? He sees another war happening, Vietnam, that seems pointless to him. He's feeling nihilism. He just wants to make this movie and trying to justify it after the fact, like the Wild Bunch tries to justify their violence after the fact, for Angel, yeah. it's pointless. When you do stuff matters, right? Defending somebody has... Uh, it's important when you do that. And guess what? If you're tweeting things on social media uh, way after the fact, you know, this is what Martin Luther King said and, and what any of the great philosophers would tell you is, you know, King said... The, the purpose of our life is to find what is worth dying for, right? What would you think is worth your life? Because self-preservation is what we all share, right? That's the deepest human instinct is self-preservation. 
I don't think any of the characters in the Wild Bunch could answer that question. No, they they have they, they all they have is self-preservation and nihilism and mm-hmm. blind momentary hedonism. Yes. They don't have they specifically talk about well, we're going to pull this job and then I'm going to leave. Okay, well what are you going to do? They don't have any idea. They have no plan. They have no idea. <laughs> You know, and you know this because the guy who's chasing them, who used to be in the gang, so you know the Robert he, Ryan character, yeah, he is, survives, and well, he's sort of set up to be the good guy, quote unquote. Mm. Except he's pretty ineffectual at chasing them down. He's just sort of fooling around in their wake, right? He never really uh, gets in their way, no. and finally. He shows up too late to the bloodbath and then just sits down and lets events happen. And the next decision he makes is to just go join another gang. So the good guy has no morals, has no uh, effect on the important moral questions in the movie. He says he's just going to drift around. He's just drifting, dude. (laughs) Just drifting, man. So if that's the legacy of the Wild Bunch, that nothing matters and... You know, it's a good thing when a bunch of guys just sort of drift around creating violence. I can't really get behind that. Well, <laughs> and I think to Tarantino's credit, I think a lot of his early films don't reflect that. I mean, you watch Reservoir Dogs, you know what those characters would die for. Mr. White proves that. Mm. Mr. White has something he would die for. Yeah. He would die for his honor. Right. He's not too late. He makes a he has more rope to go. Yeah. But he makes a decision that right. if he abandons this young man now and here and compromises who he is, yep. after he just got out of prison, his whole arc is he has more rope now. Yes, that's right. And he decides to cut it. Right. And, I, the, and I, the same thing in Pulp Fiction. A yeah. whole bunch of those characters are not just committing violence for violence's sake. They are all actually at the moment of the moral choice. Yes. Right? Uh, Bruce Willis's character is right at the moral choice. Uh, Jules is right at the moral choice. You know, some of them are completely amoral, like Travolta's character. Yeah, and Jules can't take back the people that he's killed. Right, but he's struggling with, does he kill again? Uh, he has now seen something, right? There, there's a moment of moral decision-making yeah. uh, with the bullets in the wall. Um, and so, yes, they're struggling with it, and there's none of that. Like, even when... Pike, the leader of the Wild Bunch, thinks that he's killed his old comrade by blowing up the bridge. The movie doesn't give you any moment where he talks about, well, you know, he died like he lived, or, well, I'm sorry to see him go. There's no um, moral no, they just make judgment. A, they just make a joke about drinking again. Yeah, he, he doesn't grapple with what's just happened. No, these in guys have way, no conscience. They have no... And by the time they grow a spine, it's only to serve their own ends. You know, it's only to... So that they can die doing something cool. Exactly. You know, exactly. They, they, they're they trapped with the Mexican federales, and so they come up with a justification to go out in a blaze of glory, but it doesn't mean anything. No. It's too late. They're not making any sort of political statement. It's not like they're... they're it's not like the Magnificent Seven, where yes. those guys are... Those the Magnificent Seven are pretty morally gray themselves I, as people. I they're guess. not great. But, but the whole action is based on them making a choice. Making a choice to defend that town. Yeah. They right. have a big, senseless, violent shootout. Yes. But it is in service to defending 
something else. It's based on a choice they clearly made. Yes. At the beginning. What are they willing to die for? And yeah. you find out what they're willing to die right. for. Right. These guys are willing to die to, to make it look cool. That's what they're willing <laughs> right. to die for. Right. So, I mean, and we should talk about the violence. Obviously, that's what this is yeah, known for. Sure, but you know what? Sure, there's a lot of red paint in this movie. There's a lot of red paint in this movie. And if there's no point to the violence, and if the movie is only known for its technical place in the history of Hollywood that it broke down the sense of there's always got to be a good guy and a bad guy. Okay, you know what? We can talk about that in history class. We don't have to watch it again. No. Right? Because if there's no morality to the violence, then guess what? It's no different than a B-grade slasher movie. Yeah. It's no different from a mindless uh, Transformers-like action movie today that's all CGI. This makes Michael Bay possible. That's the flip side of that coin. Like, yeah, you get Tarantino out of the bargain, but the Wild Bunch is also the, opening the door to Bayhem. Yes, it's just mayhem over and over and over in this yeah. movie. Yeah. So I, I, I throw it out of the can, personally. I, I was really glad we took the time to watch it. And I think there's interesting character study stuff happening, but not enough to justify watching yeah. it. There are better character studies out there. There are better Westerns out there. Well, so the more I think about it, the more I think of the Westerns right before and after it in the generations. So what's interesting is that old guy character that they sort of pick up along the way in this movie, and he survives, mm-hmm. right? He's the guy who sort of gets the next uh, round going, Um with the bounty hunter who used to be in the gang, right? So he's, he's an old prospector type. Uh, what's his name? Sykes, I think. He, that actor based that character on the Houston dad who's the old prospector in Treasure of the Sierra Madre. No, oh, cool. And we're going to see Treasure at some point and podcast it. All six hours of it. And you're going to see how this actor in The Wild Bunch is just copying that interesting character. Mm-hmm. I think... Treasure of the Sierra Madre is still in the canon. It's a great film. It stands up. And then after this, the next generation, guess what you get? You get Unforgiven, which is another movie about old gunslingers doing one more job and trying to find their place in the world, just like The Wild Bunch. Except it's a far better movie. Yeah, Unforgiven still set your teeth on edge. I mean, the characters are much better, uh, they're still making the moral choices. And the violence has purpose. Yeah. The human ant farm gets shaken in this movie, but it's just for the spectacle of the ant farm. See the ants jiggling around in there. It's not to see how they react or do anything. It's it's just like it's like lighting a nest of ants and scorpions on fire and like oh. Exactly. Because when you do that, the ants and the scorpions don't have a chance to, you know, change your life. Yeah. Right? They can't come back and get you or, or, or no. force you to deal with the guilt. Of setting them on fire. And that's exactly what happens at the beginning of this movie. So there's this huge shootout in a town full of civilians. And you see the civilians dropping like ants or scorpions. And, you know, there's there's one scene where, like, the surviving town fathers kind of yell at the railroad man. And the ne'er-do-wells who are in the posse who do this killing to try and get the wild bunch. But after that, Nothing! There's no, like, none of those, like, no child. There's no consequence. There's no consequence. No child of a woman killed, you know, then goes to hunt down the posse. Yeah. There's nothing happens except the spectacle of the bloodbath and all the red paint flying everywhere. Yeah. And well, it's awful. And, it, it, and that first scene has so much weight and such power because, I mean, it's still different than i think the way modern violence is staged you know look at 
let's let's take an example of something we're about to watch. Uh, Avengers Endgame is coming out here very soon. And yeah. we're about to watch the Avengers, the first Avengers film again. Yeah. And like you kind of get the idea that there are civilians in New York and they show you a couple shots of them. But it's not the camera doesn't like linger on them. You don't really get the sense that the violence is like hitting them right. personally. Well, that was the whole problem with Man of Steel was that there was no consequence to this mayhem. Yeah. Wild Bunch opens opens a door that swings two ways. It does swing towards Tarantino and Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels and swings towards plenty of brilliant, violent, character-driven films. But the door swings the other way to this mindless, senseless violence that's spectacle for spectacle's sake. And, you know, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. It, it Arguably... The Wild Bunch might be one of the single biggest cinematic influences on modern first-person shooters. I mean, it's well, that's just... that's interesting. I mean, they even get the power-up of the machine gun. Like <laughs> yeah, they do. It's such a, it's such a, you know, it's such a, it's such a power fantasy. Well, you and know. when you're playing a lot of uh, more modern video games, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're, you're, there's not a black and white landscape you're, you're sort of judging in between different factions right the a more developed of, yeah, games yeah. You're, you're sort of moving between factions and that's what they do in the wild bunches yeah. you know uh, are they friends with the federales you well know? they start in army uniforms and they end by murdering a bunch of federales and shooting yeah. a, they even get away with shooting the general of we're missing one of my favorite moments of this film that I did think was effective, and but it, it illustrates our larger point. Yeah. Where they shoot the general for killing their friend. Yeah. They've actually honored their code. In I mean, it's too late, but they've honored their code. <laughs> their friend is effectively dead. Already. Their friend is effectively yeah. dead. Well, no, he's super dead because he's got his throat sl- slit. Yeah. And they shoot him, but nobody whips out their guns at them. Yeah. You know what? There's hesitation. It's like, well, we didn't like him anyway. Sort of yeah, like yeah, right, right. They might just get away with it again. Yeah, and they sort of look at each other and start to laugh like that. Yeah, like, yeah. and then they just have to, they have to, they have to let light, let, let the scorpion on fire. They have to shoot the German that looks like Krieger from Archer. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta tell you, some of the most enjoyment I got out of this film was spotting this, like, bearded German dude in the background of, of the Federales, because it's set during World War One. Yeah, the very so, early days, before the United States is officially in the war, uh, you know, Black Jack Pershing, the general who later takes over the Allied forces in Western Europe, he's chasing Pancho Villa down back and forth across the U.S.-Mexican border at the beginning of World War One. Yeah, and and so there are German guys on the side of the Federales, yep. you know, trying to supply them with guns and instruct them on how to use They're them. They're trying to provoke... Uh, yeah. war between Mexico and the United States because they think that will keep the U.S. out of the war in Europe. Ooh, the Germans are coming to get me. The Germans <laughs> are coming to get me. So, you know, I liked all that historic stuff. I should like this movie more than I did. I've seen it a couple times now. But again, it just it falls apart because it's so clearly just about spectacle. And the characters really aren't that interesting, you know? For a bunch of old guys, you know, you quoted one of Ernest Borgnine's lines, but it's pretty standard. You know, Pike, the guy at the head of the bunch, he's just not that interesting. No, it's it's. I think Borgnine is a. There's no his, character. He's, he's fun just because his because he's Ernest Borgnine. His <laughs> face is shaped weird. He was born looking forty five years old. Yeah, yeah, which was a great asset to him later on in life, where he kept looking forty five <laughs> years old. But he's shaped vaguely like a potato. He's yeah, just like that's true. He's he's it, it's fun. It is. I do get a pure visceral joy out of seeing Ernest Borgnine like knocking back hard liquor and you know 
Sitting in a sauna. Sitting in a sauna. <laughs> like, so this is... There's plenty of spectacle of all kinds. There's, well, this is a, a you know... There's a prostitutes made... in a vat of wine. A vi- yeah. But, like, I thought they were going to get in trouble... Because, like, it's this 300-year-old wine, and they blow a bunch of holes in it. And yeah. I'm like, oh, man, there's going to be tension with, with the federales because no, they've ruined no. this liquor thing. And nothing comes of it. The, the Wild Bunch is a movie made by guys fantasizing about this kind of life. It's it's basically just, like, a wild camping weekend with the guys. <laughs> that ends in murder. <laughs> well, quite a bloodbath. Quite a lot of murder. Bless me, Father, for... I have just killed quite a few men. Like, I, I mean, that's the other part of the good The good opening swinging of the door is, you know, you get El Mariachi at Once Upon a Time in Mexico, which is built around the tradition of this level of senseless violence. Well, but it also, here's a good strike in uh, its favor. This was a time when Hollywood really did not uh, have any sort of authenticity in showing uh, the Hispanic population either of what is the Southwest United States or of Mexico, right? Yeah. And so I really did enjoy, on this rewatching, uh, seeing authentic uh, people of that area speaking Spanish to each other. You know, not they, subtitled. Not, not subtitled. Not subtitled. It was, you know, these gringos are moving through this uh, culture that is not theirs. And, you know, I can't speak to how authentic it is, but it's way more authentic than you would have seen five years before yeah, that. Yeah, it's inarguably better than what the other What you would was. see in John Wayne, right? Yeah, you know, where, where John Wayne's just slaughtering Native Americans left and right. And right. It's, you know, the, it, but so even, this, it, this movie, although it's in 1969, nine. it absolutely feels like a movie made in the 70s because it's got a lot more of that kind of cultural texture um, it's a lot more conscious in certain ways. It's conscious of itself. Yeah. The problem is the characters don't have any conscience. Yeah. <laughs> so it opens the door that takes you all the way to Taxi Driver 10 years later, right? Yeah. In, in terms of these dark, yeah. you know, dark, violent movies. Man, you guys really want to lose the will to live. Watch Taxi Driver. <laughs> well, we haven't podcasted it yet, but we probably should at some point. <laughs> I watched that once. Do I have to do that again? Well, so that's the. Now we're back to Star Wars. <laughs> no! So the, Bucky! <laughs> American movies were saturated with this stuff in the 70s because they thought the darker, the better, right? It's how you get Deer Hunter. It's how you end up with uh, Scarface. Rosemary's Baby. Scarface is a direct descendant of the Wild Bunch. Yeah. Right? I mean, Scarface is 80s. But, but it's early yeah, 80s. Yeah. It's almost exactly 10 years later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe 11 or 12. Yeah, yeah. But Scarface is the child of the Wild Bunch. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I tell you, when I finished watching it, I was kind of 50-50 on whether it stays in the canon. But the more I think about it, the more I say... No. Thumbs down. It's out. I mean... Because it's, it's, I would recommend that people watch... Uh, Unforgiven. Unforgiven. Watch Unforgiven. Just watch Unforgiven a whole bunch of times. <laughs> but no, I, I think it's out too. It's I appreciate it for what it was when it was released. I appreciate some of its children. But, you know, I see the other side of the family that's screaming and hooting and hollering on the other end. And I have no appreciation for Michael Bay. I, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. And this makes his existence possible. Yeah, so. absolutely. All right, Wild Bunch. It's a wash. It's out of here. See ya. I am Bentley. And I'm Samuel. And this has been the Re-View Podcast. Podcast.